We've been talking in this series how our thoughts are powerful. They're powerful in all kinds of ways, and I'm sure you've experienced that in your life, but you've also seen this in somebody else's life, that we go through circumstances, and there are no short of circumstances going on in our world right now in 2020, right? And circumstances make us feel something, and our feelings lead us to thinking a certain way, and sometimes our you know, feelings and our thinking lead us to a trap and our minds tell us some misinformation or they lack clarity of how we see the world. And our minds often can tell us what to think in a negative way. Now it makes sense. It tells us what to think, but in a negative way because we get distorted in the way we see the world. And this series is how all about not what to think, but simply how to think when it comes to tough challenging circumstances in our lives and how to avoid a mind trap. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, you notice we've walked through, in week one we talked about how to avoid the victim trap, and I just encourage you, if you missed week one, to go back online and watch it. We had some great feedback about it. And then the last week we talked about the negativity trap, and if someone has told you you're a negative person, it means you probably are. And today I want to talk about the all or nothing trap. Now here's the deal. As a pastor, I was just thinking about this as I was processing through the service this morning. You know, this is a weird, crazy time for us, because right now we're watching our world kind of go sideways, and things are in threat of shutting down. And so for me, I've got to be really conscious of how to think in my life for the future and direction of our church. So I'm trying to keep my own mind straight in that. Because when it comes to the all or nothing um, trap, we tend to go, hey, everything is a pass or fail grade. Everything in our lives is black and white. Now let me tell you how that connects in my life. Um, I'm a pastor, and one of the things I do is what I'm doing right now. I stand on the stage, and on Sunday mornings and other times, I communicate, right? And when people think of a pastor, they think of, that's your job, Matt, and, and it's part of my job. But the truth is, my job encompasses way more than just giving messages on Sunday. But I can be judged, or I can judge myself based on how I feel. Like if I walk off stages and I feel like I really did a good job, I can be like, I'm a success, I'm doing well in my life, and God loves me. I mean, I can feel that way. And if I totally bomb and you guys are like getting up and walking out or falling asleep, um, I can feel like a complete and utter failure. And if you fall asleep this morning, just don't snore out loud so I know you're sleeping out there. That would help me out tremendously. But the truth is, for my job, it's just not about communicating. Probably the most important part of my job is leading our church and leading our staff and keeping us on mission. So that's for me personally. Maybe you and your job, you have one small part of your job that you kind of feel like, if I do this part well, I'm successful. But if I don't do this part well, I'm a failure, no matter what I do in the rest of my job. If you've ever been a parent, you've experienced this, right? You work really hard to raise your kids and teach them to love and listen and maybe to follow Jesus even at two or three or four years old and you're doing so well. And then comes that dreaded Thanksgiving family gathering with your little one and your little one's got an earache and you take him in and he just cries the entire time and then he bites his cousin and then he has a blowout on grandpa's brand new sofa and it's just a disaster. And you feel like everybody in the family thinks you're a terrible parent because you had one one bad evening. It's the all or nothing trap. It's where, listen, it's where we think this way. The tendency to think in terms of polar opposites without accepting the possibilities that lie between these two extremes. 
You know, if I go out on a date and you're single, if I go out on a date and it goes well, you may feel like, hey, I'm valuable, I'm important. But if you have another failed date, hey, I'm worthless and I you know, don't have any value in this world. It's the all or nothing mind trap for, for school if you're a student. You, know, you get an A on your chemistry test, but you fail your math test. It's all or nothing. I feel smart one day, but because I failed the next day, I just feel like I'm an idiot and I can't hang on to anything. My friends, that's a super dangerous way to live. And here's what we realize, some of us, that where this shows up the most is in religious circles, in church circles. Because what drives often our church experience is not love and goodness and grace, it's fear. And it's fear that if you don't get everything right, God's going to reject you. And it's the fear that if I don't keep on track, God's going to quit loving me versus being driven by his grace and his love and his care for us. And we've got to figure that out. And the longer I've done what I've done and the longer I've followed Jesus, I've come to realize that a maturing faith means less certainty about many things and more certainty about a few things. Now, I have to say this. When I was 22, 23 years old, and I just got into the ministry, a statement like this would have driven me crazy because this is what I thought at 22 years old. I know everything. You ever live in that world? I have the answers to everything. But when I work with people, and I hear their pain, I hear their heartache, it, it makes me realize I'm a little less certain about certain things, but there's some things I am absolutely, absolutely certain about that revolve around Jesus. And I want to lean into the things that point me and point us to be more like Jesus. Because what happens when we live in a perfection mindset, i got to get everything right all the time, perfection turns to paralysis. And this is the mindset I think a lot of people have fallen into. If I can't get it all right, whether it's in my parenting or in my job or in my marriage and certainly in my faith, I just get frozen and I can't move forward and I don't know what to do and I just kind of freeze and sit in the corner and hope it just all works out. Where God has called us to this adventure of following him into the wild blue yonder that I think we don't want to miss. And the all or nothing attitude takes us to a place where we don't even want to try. Now today we're going to look at a, a man that followed Jesus, and he was an all-or-nothing kind of guy. He was super bold, a little audacious. He, he was a little impetuous. You, you may know him. His name is Simon Peter. He was one of Jesus' original 12 apostles. He was one of the guys that you know, Jesus called to help launch and start and lead his church. But man, Peter could be rash. And he could be really courageous, and he could be really bold, but it also tripped him up in so many ways because his passion for his Savior got him in some incredible, difficult circumstances along the way. And the first thing we, we realize about Peter is he's an unlikely apostle. He's a super unlikely to be called to follow Jesus. So Jesus you know, comes upon Peter one day, and Peter's fishing with his brother, maybe his dad or an uncle or a cousin, and Jesus approaches him. And this is what Matthew, a friend of Peter, he writes this story. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. Now here's what's so fascinating, and we don't understand this in our culture. But the fact that Peter, as a young man, was working as a fisherman meant he'd already missed the cut of the most important, most intelligent young men in the community. Because the most intelligent, the most godly, the most faithful were called to be a disciple of a rabbi in the local community. And if you were called to be a rabbi, it was such an honor to do that. And there was a very select group of young men 
in every class of young men that got called to be a rabbi's student or a rabbi's disciple. Well, apparently, Peter's not smart enough. Peter's not good enough. He doesn't know enough. And, you know, probably the you know, the rabbinical school, they said, Peter, you're a good young man, and God loves you, but you just don't have what it takes. Now go back to your father's fishing business. You're just not smart enough. You're just not good enough, right? It's an all-or-nothing kind of proposal to Peter's life. And so now Peter's fishing. It's probably hot and a little stinky, and they're pulling in fish. And Jesus, a rabbi, approaches Peter. He says, hey, Come follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, which is really strange language, but what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I'm going to call you to tell people about the message of God, that God has come into this world to change this world. And look at his response at once. Not with deliberation, not with i got to think about it, not with i got to go pros and cons list. At once, they left their nets and they followed them, followed him. Now here's a pretty positive response in, in a little bit of a rash way. And because, you know, when you read about Peter, you realize he just does stuff sometimes. I have this picture of him hopping over the boat when Jesus says, come on, Peter. And Peter just hops over the boat and starts swimming for the shore, kind of like Forrest Gump when he swims towards Lieutenant Dan on the side of the boat and the boat just crashes. I love that scene. But Peter's all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going wherever you say. And then he follows Jesus. And after watching Jesus and listening to Jesus and watching these amazing miracles, Jesus turns and says, hey, hey guys, who do people say I am? And you probably know this story. Peter just leans in and says, I'll tell you who you are, Jesus. I have no doubt. I'm an all-in kind of guy. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the holy special one sent from God. I am confident about that. And in this moment, Peter declares Jesus as Messiah. And he's the first one seemingly to do this amongst his followers. Big, audacious statement. It's who Peter was. He's an all-in guy. I'm all-in. And then a little while later... Jesus starts to make this journey towards the cross. He's been betrayed by Judas. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, knowing what's coming, and it's going to be awful and painful as he heads towards the cross. And the temple guard comes, and they grab Jesus up, and Jesus is willing to go quietly because he knows what his destiny is. But Peter's not having it. He's an all-or-in, all-or-nothing kind of guy. And Peter pulls a sword Decides, I'm sticking up for my man. I said he's the Messiah, and I'm going to be with you to the very end, to the death, Jesus. And he cuts off a temple guard's ear. And if you read the story, it's amazing, because Jesus, Jesus puts his hand after Peter cuts off this man's ear, and he heals his ear. Amazing. Picks it up off the ground. It's kind of gross when you think about it. Heals his ear, and he says, Peter, we're not living by the sword. We're not dying by the sword. But we're following the mission God has sent me on. But Peter, he's in. He's following Jesus. I'm with you to the end no matter what it takes. Even though I'm a little off in the way I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm still with you. Now what's fascinating about this is a few hours later, Jesus is in the temple court and he's being beaten. And he's being tried in a false trial and he's being mocked. And Peter starts to dawn on him that we're in real trouble here. And pretty soon the Roman guards are going to get involved. And if the Roman guards get involved, everything is going bad quick. And Peter becomes, gets scared and frightened. And then someone walks up, and you know this story. Hey, Peter, weren't, weren't you the guy that was with Jesus? And immediately Peter's reaction, his response, his rash response was, no, I don't know him. And somebody else asked him, hey, weren't you with, 
Weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 no. I, I don't even know the man. And the third person asks, and it's like Peter almost curses out loud in denying who Jesus was. Yeah, but you have the same dialect. And you look like the guy that is always with him. And he emphatically says, I was not with him. And Peter denies Jesus. And in the famous story, the rooster crows. And he remembers that Jesus told him, you will deny me. And in that moment, there is nothing but guilt and shame in Peter's life. He's been all in, and now he just went all out. And the only thought he has driving him is, I am broken, and I failed the one I said I would stick to the very end, and I have failed Jesus. But Jesus, from there, he goes on, and he's crucified for your sin and the forgiveness of my sin. He takes my place on the cross, and he dies for the forgiveness of Peter, his good, good friend. And then he rises from the dead, and the most amazing thing And then he starts showing up all over Jerusalem. And he meets Peter on a beach after he'd been fishing. And they fry up a few fish and they have breakfast on the beach. And in this moment, Jesus, Jesus reinstates Peter. This is an interesting exchange because Jesus keeps looking at Peter and goes, Peter, I know you screwed up, but do you love me? And Peter's answer is over, yes, Jesus. Do you love me? Yes. And three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And I'm just guessing it had something to do with the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times. And somehow Jesus wanted to drive this down to, hey, it's your love for me that's going to get you through all this. But do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? He asked him over and over. Look what John, he recorded this. He said, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me that? Because I'm supposing Jesus would say, I want to make sure you know it. I know it. I want to make sure you know it. But in the third time, Peter responds differently to Jesus' question. He says, do you love me? Because he says this. He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus, okay, you know everything, right? So when you called me, you knew that I was an unlikely candidate to follow you, but you knew that when you called me, and I knew that. You knew that I would proclaim you as the Messiah first, didn't you? Yeah, I kind of knew that. Peter, I know you. Yeah, I know you know all things. And you knew when they came to capture you and take you in to crucify you, you knew I would pull that sword because I'm rash and I'm impetuous and I'm bold and sometimes I'm super courageous. You knew that, didn't you? And you called me to that, yeah. As misguided as you were in that moment, Peter, I knew, but I'm working with you and I'm working through you. Then that means, Jesus, you must have known I would deny you. Remember I told you, Jesus would say. I I told you you would. But I called you anyway. I know all things. And I knew we'd be on this beach having this conversation because I'm calling you back. And in the midst of Peter knowing Jesus knew all that about him, he was in. He was all in in that moment. And with all his failures and all of his heartbreak and all the things he did to let down his Savior, Jesus looked at him and he just simply said, hey, Peter, now I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me like the first time I asked you to follow me. And this is what it comes down to. Would you follow me? I know you denied me. 
I know you've been out. I know you left me, but I'm asking you, come on back, come on back, come on back. And here's why this message is so important for some of you this morning, and maybe for me, is the question is not getting it all in or all out or being all perfect. It's would you today in this moment follow Jesus? Because we're never going to have it perfect and we're never going to you know, have it all figured out. And when I think about this, I think about what happened to me last summer. Um, I've shared this story a little bit with you. I met two of my sons in Colorado. And the plan was for me and my sons to go up in the mountains and go hiking. So that's exactly what we did. We loaded up. We went you know, south of Colorado Springs and we hiked way up in the mountains. This is me and two of them. I'm Jeff and Jake and me at 13,000, I think 400 feet. Now I need to tell you, you know what there is not an abundance of at 13,400 feet? Oxygen. There's no oxygen up here. Now I'm smiling. What I'm really trying to do is not stroke out in this moment. I'm telling you, trying not to do that. And I remember thinking as we're walking along these ridges, and it's grand, and it's beautiful, and it feels like you're close to God when you're in the mountains of Colorado like this. But I remember what I was thinking. I'm not doing well at this. And these two young guys, I mean, they're always ahead of me. They're having to wait to stop and let me catch up. And I think the reason they stopped and let me rest a little bit, because they knew if I stroked out, they'd have to carry my fat butt down the mountain, and they did not want to do that. And then I started thinking, what if they just roll me down the side and see how far I get? I I don't even want to go there. But I did have this thought when I was completely gassed out is, listen, I should be down in Colorado Springs at a nice hotel eating a steak and having a nice glass of wine instead of dying up here with these boys. There was just a moment I thought about that. But then I thought, you know, if I was doing that, I wouldn't be doing this. And being in the mountains and seeing the beauty and the grandeur is great. But what was really great was being with these two guys, my boys. And here's what I thought as I kept working through, you know, no gas, out of oxygen. I may not be winning, but I am not missing out either. I may not be doing my very best like I would have when I was 25 or if I was in better shape or I've lost a few pounds. Dang you, COVID, you ruined my life with my own weight. We all say that, right? But I am not missing out. And for me to be with these two young men was really more important than just about anything I was doing that week. And I was not missing out. And see, I think that's the whole call that Jesus is saying to Peter. Listen, you're not going to do this right. You're going to stumble. You're not going to be leading the way some days. And some days you're going to be completely messing it up. But do not miss out. Do not miss out on the journey of what God wants to do with you, Peter. And the lesson in this is limiting yourself to a pass-fail perspective will limit how much God grows you. Because if you only follow Jesus when you're really doing it well, you're going to miss out on the best learning experiences in your life. And that's true with your career. That's true with your kids. That's true with your marriage. But it's really true when it comes to your heavenly father. As an old man, Peter sits down and he writes some letters that we have recorded in the New Testament. They're named after Peter. They weren't real original with the names of their letters back then. But as an older man, Peter writes this after all he learned. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. You know what that simply means? Your mind is alert, which means it's not distorted. It's not cloudy. It hasn't been tainted by anything. And when when the word says, he says fully sober, it just simply means not drunk. Just what you think it would mean. And he leans in. He says, guys, here's what I want you to do. Keep your mind alert and sober because the battle is up here. 
The battle's in this place. And we're always talking about it's a hard issue, it's a hard issue, it's a hard issue. We know the heart is deceitful. But when the battle's here, when the battle's in your mind, and Peter says, keep it alert and clear and sober. Don't let yourself be a victim. Don't let yourself go to all negativity and don't be an all-in or all-out kind of person. Protect your mind. That's great advice when it comes to following God. He goes on. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, love that word, on grace to be brought, brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And Peter looks into the future in this moment. He says, guys, there's a day that Jesus is coming back. In, in the last week, in the last couple of weeks, I mean, everybody's been posting about all kinds of you know, tribulation and all kinds of theories, which is great around this. But what we know for sure is Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, people that have leaned in, held on to his grace and Jesus' love and his forgiveness will be really glad to see him. Which means that when the clouds part and Jesus comes back to get us, when you're holding his grace in your heart, and that's what we know saves us, it's like, oh, I'm not running away from a holy God. I'm running to him because I am leaning on and hoping in his grace. I think Peter would look at you and he'd look at me and he said, set your hope on grace. Set your hope on grace. And grace simply means this, if you, if you don't know. It means you're getting something you did not earn. You're receiving something that you did not pay for. You have something given to you that, is not yours except by a purely free given gift of your heavenly father. And that's forgiveness and that's love and it's salvation. And it can't be all or nothing because if it's all or nothing, it's all dependent upon me. But when it's dependent on our hope in God's grace through Jesus on the cross, everything changes. And one of the things in our church that still kind of breaks my heart a little bit as we try and figure this out better is people that go, I wanna take on the next step but I just gotta get these things worked out before I take the next step. Easy example is people that wanna get baptized. People will say to me, hey, I wanna get baptized. And if you don't know what being baptized is, I'd love to have that conversation with you. But people say, I wanna get baptized, but I gotta get these things straightened out in my life and I've gotta really get a handle on these sin things and these misgivings. And, and I wanna say, wait, wait a minute, is this about grace? Or is this about your performance? Are you gonna be an all in or all out kind of guy? Or are you gonna set your hope on grace. And Peter believed it was all going to come down to grace for him. But look what he says alongside of this, and this is where we can get just a little bit confused as we work through the scriptures. He also says, after this whole idea of grace, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, don't lean into these evil things. And evil desires is pretty simple for me to understand. It's when I want something for you that's not of God. Or I want something for me that doesn't come from God. Because we believe, or I believe, many of you do, that God's way is the best way. Evil desires is when I put something ahead of God, which I have a tendency to do sometimes. And Peter says, walk away from those evil desires. God has to be first in your life. And for other people and you, it's to want what God wants for them because his ways are the best. Don't conform to evil desires. And then Peter leans in even harder. And he says, but... Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. And holy is simply this, be perfect. It's tough, isn't it? Don't get anything wrong when it comes to following God. But hang on, because remember, our hope is in grace, not what we've earned, 
but what God has given us. So what do we do with this? Well, Peter would say, all right, I'm going to go one more step. For it is written, and he quotes an Old Testament passage of Scripture, be holy because I am holy. It's an audacious statement by Peter. To which I, I read that, and I read it this week, and I struggled with it again, and I thought, I would love to sit down with Peter and just lean across the stable and say, listen, Peter, I don't, don't tell anybody this. I'm a pastor. Don't tell the people that come to my church, because I don't want them to know this, but I'm not sure I can be holy as God is holy. To which I think Peter would say, I couldn't do it either. Right? That's why Peter said, put your hope in grace. Put your hope in the gift that God has given you and nothing else, but make holiness the journey. Make grace your hope, let holiness be the journey. In other words, focus on growth along the way. Focus on growth. And this is the challenge, because we think it's an all or nothing thing. Either I'm all about grace and God's holiness doesn't matter, or I'm all about God's holiness and I've gotta be perfect, and his grace doesn't matter. My hope, my friends, is not in me, and so my hope can only be in God's grace that he has given me forgiveness. But there's a mountain to go for. There's a place to dwell with God closely. There's a place for me to journey with him and be close to him. And as I lean into his holiness, it draws me to the best parts of God in my life. When he comes back, it's all going to be about grace. But I want to grow. I want to be recognizable as a follower of Jesus. I want people to see the evidence in my life. But it's all going to be about grace. But I hope the holiness propels me to shine through. So here's what Peter simply says. He says, keep your mind alert and sober. Don't ever forget that your mind is where the battle is. Set your hope on grace. Don't set your hope on anything else, the grace of Jesus, but focus on growth. Let the holiness, the mind of Christ, the ways of God, which we believe are the best ways, let that pour through you. And when you change your mind, you change your thoughts and you change the direction of your life. And I thought I'd put this up just because it helps me that no change holds as much potential for life change as letting God give you a mind change. So here's the challenge. When you came in here today, you got a lot of challenges, right? And you're praying for a lot of things. And I suggest you pray for everything that's challenging in your life. Bring it to God. Take it to God. But would you do this too? And I'm looking in the mirror asking myself this. Would I ask God for a mind change? God, would you give me sober and clear thoughts? Would you let me see truth as it really is in me and in the world? God, would you help me to hold on to grace and nothing else? And then God, help me to grow in your ways and following you in anything that's not of you, God. Could I push that to the side and hold on to your holiness? My hope's in grace, but I want to grow. And that's a mind change that I believe will serve us well, serve our children well, serve our community well, and serve our church well. And listen, if you're here and you're like, Matt, you're talking about these big things, and I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. That's okay. You keep coming, and you keep thinking, and you keep praying, and you keep asking, God, show me who you are. And God will answer through the thunder. <laughs> As a joke. If you're online, it's thunder in here. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible invitation because when our mind changes and our thoughts change, to be like the mind of Christ, everything changes with it. And that's what I think God wants for us. Let's do this. Listen, 
2020 is not going to get any better, is it? I mean, it's a mess out there. You don't have to be a mess. I don't have to be a mess. We can have the hope of God's grace in our life. And we can chase and run after the holiness of God's perfection. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for Peter's struggle in these areas because I see it as my struggle equally as well. I pray that we could learn, as Peter learned, not to be all in or all out, but to follow you consistently, to hold on to your grace, to have clear and sober judgment, and to pursue growth in our lives. Thanks for your deep love and your care for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.